Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. As mentioned, I, uh, I'm the lead pastor at Deepwater Church, but only for a few more months because I quit my job. <laughs> I quit my job and I'm not, I'm not worried about it. For most of the last 16 years, I've been the lead pastor at Deepwater but recently, I've sensed God uh, telling me it was time to leave that job. And so I did. I quit a job that was very secure, a job that was very stable, a job with a relatively comfortable compensation package, as church jobs go. And I'm not worried about it. And not because I have another job lined up. I don't. I'm not even looking for another job. But I'm not worried about it. And not because traveling and preaching, which is what I feel God's called me to do, is so lucrative I've done some preaching gigs that, that paid reasonably well. I did one that cost me $36 by the time I got home because uh, it was in PEI and they didn't give me enough money for the bridge. And uh, so, you know, who knows how that's all going to work out, but I'm not worried about it. Not because I'm independently wealthy. We'll sell our home in Halifax here in another few months and we'll make some money on that, but it's not going to be like retire early, you know, Freedom 55 money. Plus, I'm only 45, so I still got 10 years before even that would work, right? We got a cottage that God miraculously blessed us with about a year ago uh, that we could live in if we got desperate, but that'd get pretty lame when winter came, I think. But I'm not worried about it. And it's not because my wife has some incredible job that's going to pay all the bills. She has a part-time job, and she just quit it. Uh, we're, we're a family of quitters at the Thomas household. She has some job prospects that would be full-time, but none of them are locked down, and none of them would be anything approaching lucrative. But I'm not worried about it. So yeah, I just quit a very secure job, for which I am comfortably compensated to embrace a ministry that is completely financially insecure from day to day and that on paper could completely ruin me financially. And I'm not worried about it. And I want to tell you why. Because I'm guessing that for the vast majority of us here today, not worrying about money would be a welcome change. This is week three of Family Matters here at King's, and we're going to be talking about this whole idea of money, because few things are a more constant source of stress and strain in a household than money. Few things are responsible for more fights in marriages than money. Few things create more heated disagreements in families than money. So if we want God's best for our families, we really have to get a handle on this money thing. Now there's a bunch of really practical things you can do. Very practical things, you should do them all. Things like get on a budget, live within your means, get out of debt. And I wanna tell you, as much as for some of you today, you might go, man, that's a dream, that will never happen. Listen, it is possible. You can do it, it absolutely can be done. But it is easier to say than it is to do. And so if you need some help with that, there are some great uh, financial coaches. There are some great uh, books and resources you can look into. You could talk to your pastor about that. Uh, but as uh, I believe has been mentioned at all of our locations already today, but I want to remind you that this Saturday, February 24th, our Saturday seminar, uh, seminary topic is finances. And if you need some help getting those practical sides of your financial house in order, you're going to want to sign up and be there to be a part of that. About five or six years ago, 
God convicted my wife and I about these things, and we did all those steps. We got on a budget, we got out of debt, we began to build up some savings, all that kind of stuff, and it's been great. But that's not the reason that I'm not worried. Let me be clear, that is not the reason that I'm not worried. I want to explain to you today, that's really all I want to do today, is explain to you the reason why I'm not worried, because I believe that you can also live in a place where you're not worried about money either. In order to do that, we've got to look at Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, we're going to start in at verse 6. I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why your descent, you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, well, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. There's three key words we're going to look at here today. Cheat, blessed, and test. Cheat, blessed, and test. But before we dive into those, we better pray. Father, we invite you to come and to speak to us first and foremost through your word. God, would you give me your words and your way to say them? Would you help us to hear the voice of your spirit on this issue of finances today? God, you know that already there are some of us who are all tensed up because this is gonna be the topic. God, would you help us to understand that that very tension of allowing your word to address our finances is a sign that we have some work and some growth to do in that area. Holy Spirit, would you come and give us a word that is convicting but also encouraging and challenging and liberating. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So the first word is cheat. The first word is cheat. God's addressing this issue of the tithe with them. The tithe was 10% of your income given to God. The way you gave that to God is you would bring it and give it to the priests at the temple in the Old Testament. And then offerings were gifts above and beyond that for various special times and purposes that were kind of laid out uh, in the Old Covenant. Now, when we talk about giving in church these days, we often will use the term generosity. We want, to, we want to be generous people. We want to grow in generosity. We want to practice generosity. And I'm not saying that's bad. We should absolutely be generous givers. That is a great thing to be. But generosity is above and beyond. Of course, the question is, what is it above and beyond? Generosity is giving that is above and beyond. Okay, well, what is the giving that it is above and beyond? You'll notice God in this passage doesn't use the language of generosity. 
He doesn't say, hey, you guys should be more generous. He's saying that tithing is the basic responsibility that we have to God. That not tithing is not just ungenerous, it's cheating, or some translations will say robbing God. Generous giving is above and beyond. Tithing is what generous is above and beyond. Tithing is the baseline. Tithing is entry level. Tithing is kind of the basic unit of giving to God. He's saying that not giving 10% of your material resources to God is wrong. It's a breach of covenant. It's unfaithfulness. It's cheating. It's robbery. Those are some hard words. That's a little more direct than I would like the Lord to be. Unfortunately, he doesn't check with me first. God says that 10% of your income is due to him. Tithing is not generously giving to God from what is ours. It is faithfully returning to God what is already his. You don't actually give your tithe. You give back your tithe because it's already his. Tithing isn't an act of great generosity. It is simply not robbing, not cheating God out of what he's due. Now, they had a hard time understanding all this. The Israelites did, right? They're going, okay, God, we're coming to the temple. We're worshiping. We're doing all the rituals. We're going through all the things. We're doing all the important stuff. Why are you so hung up on this giving piece? And God says, no, 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 but you're not giving to me what you're supposed to. So no, you aren't doing all the important stuff. Thus, you're not being faithful. You can't be faithful without giving. I run into believers all the time who think they can be faithful and obedient and submitted to God without sacrificially giving to the Lord from their finances. It's like they're saying, Jesus, you are Lord, but your lordship doesn't extend all the way to my money. You're Lord, but of this little compartment. You can't be Lord of a compartment, right? You can't be king of 80%. It's hard to read this passage and arrive at any other conclusion than that to give God less than a tithe, 10% of our income, is to cheat him. And if you're cheating God, you ought to stop. If you're robbing God, you ought to stop. If you're being unfaithful to him in your finances, you ought to stop, which means you ought to start tithing, giving 10% of your income to God through the storehouse, is the language this passage uses. That would be your local place of worship, the place where you participate in worship, the place where you are fed and shepherded and cared for and in community. Now, for most of you today, that's King's Church, but some of you might be uh, visiting from some other church. Let me be clear. I'm telling you to give to that church. I'm not saying you have to give to this church because you happen to show up here today. This is not about a funding drive for King's. I'm saying that whatever is the church where you're connected, whatever is the community where you belong, that's where you need to give. That's where you need to tithe. Now, This is the part of the sermon where inevitably somebody says, yeah, but, you know, tithing is an Old Testament principle. Tithing is an Old Testament principle. That 10%, that's an Old Testament percent. And this is the part where I concede, yes, tithing is absolutely an Old Testament principle. 10% is the Old Testament percent. The New Testament percent is 100%. So maybe quit whining and put on the Old Testament training wheels of tithing and get yourself ready for the big boy or big girl bike that is 100% New Testament level generosity. 
Okay. Great, we got that established, but I'm not sure I can afford to. Like, I love the idea. I love the concept. I love the principle. I, I, I'm with you in theory. I just literally don't know how to make this work. I don't know if I can afford this. Well, that leads to our next word, blessed. You will never outgive God. He has already given you so much that if you were to give him every dime you made for the rest of your life, you would still not be successful in repaying him. But beyond that, God promises to be faithful to bless you materially in response to your material giving. Yes, spiritual blessings abound, and that is wonderful, but material provision is also something God promises, right? This was an agricultural society that this text is written to. They were mostly farmers, And so 10% of their harvest wasn't like a cool church metaphor. It was literally what they harvested. It was their crops and it was their animals. And what are the blessings that God promises in response to their giving? It's better and healthier crops. God is saying when you give out of your material resources, I will bless your material resources. God can't, or more if you want to get really technical, won't. God can't bless what you don't give him. God can't bless what you don't give him. See, God's blessing flows out from his throne. God's blessing extends where his rule and reign extend. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. This is kind of his magnum opus. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is expanding and expounding on the kingdom of God. And he begins the Sermon on the Mount with what we call the Beatitudes. It's the blessed are they who, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's this whole litany of people who are blessed. And he starts out his Sermon on the Kingdom by talking about who is blessed because the kingdom of God is where the blessing of God flows It flows where his rule and reign are. The blessing of God flows within the kingdom of God, within the rule and reign of God, meaning where God is king is blessed. If you want to know where the blessing of God falls, you need to look for where the kingdom of God is. And if you want God to be king in your finances, you need to give him what's best, not just what's left. What's best not just what's left. That's how you invite him to be king of your finances. You honor his uh, right, his claim on your finances. The tithe wasn't just 10%. It was the first 10%. Not just any random 10%, the first and the best 10%. Your financial offering to God, if your financial offering to God is from the bottom of your bank account, when every other expense has been paid rather than off the top of your paycheck when it first comes in, he ain't really your king and you don't really trust him. If you're saying, God, I want to give you what you're due as long as everything else is already taken care of and everything else is already, I'll check the couch cushions and see what I can hook you up with, Lord. He's not Lord, right? You're tipping, you're not tithing. (laughs) If I want God to bless my finances... I need to make him the top line in my budget. I mean that literally. Like if you have a spreadsheet, and you should, of your household budget, the first expense, the first thing that goes out should be what you're giving 
to the Lord. That's why for our family, uh, there are tons of ways you can give uh, here at King's Church. Uh, there, I saw four or five when we were watching them on the screen earlier. All of them are good. All of them are great. All of them honor God. You should use whichever one works for you. Our family has found that direct deposit is almost an act of worship in and of itself because as soon as the money comes in, God's cut goes out. We don't wait and see how the month plays out. We don't wait and see if there's any unexpected expenses. We don't wait and see if maybe we need to find a few more bucks for something here, there, or wherever. We don't wait and see if another burner on the stove goes. We're down to two at the time. God gets his cut right off the top. He gets what he is due, what is rightfully his, right off the top. We don't even think about it. We just set it, and now it happens. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about some sort of prosperity gospel foolishness where, you know, if you give money to God, he'll give you everything your greedy, materialistic little heart ever wanted. <laughs> I'm talking about a kind of divine provision where you can trust that your God will supply all your needs, Amen. all your needs, according to his riches and glory. We love to sing songs about how Jesus is Lord and how much we trust him and how we're submitted to him and how we'll do whatever he wants. Let me tell you something, church. Your calendar and your bank statement give a much more accurate picture of your heart than your songs do. We don't have time to talk about the calendar piece, but your calendar and your bank statement. If you want me to know what the state of someone's heart is, don't show me their Spotify playlist with all their great worship tunes. Show me how they spend their time and how they spend their money. How they invest their time and how they invest their money. You can sing anything. It's really not that hard. But when you start having to give those things that are finite resources, time and money, we begin to see those things. Your calendar and your bank statement give a more accurate picture of your heart than your songs do. Now, this idea of sacrificial giving as a path to blessing was really hard for the Israelites to get their head around. They're saying, okay, God, you're saying that if I want a healthier herd of cows, I should kill the best bull I have and give it to you. All right? I grew up in Sussex, up the road. I know from cows. That's not how you do it. But God goes, yeah, no, that's exactly what you should do. Saying, God, if you're, you're saying if I want a bigger harvest, I should take the plants that grew the biggest and the strongest, the fastest, and instead of harvesting those seeds and replanting them, I should take them to the temple and give them to you. And God goes, yeah, no, that's exactly what you should do. Okay, God, well, how does that work? Because that's how your farm becomes the king's farm. And the king's farm is always blessed. Amen. That's how your farm becomes the king's farm. And the king's farm is always blessed. Now, their farms were literal farms. I'm guessing for most of us here today, our farms are more of a metaphor, right? For our kind of general financial life, our material resources, our income, our assets, all that kind of stuff. Through giving, your farm becomes the king's farm, and the king's farm is always blessed. God is saying that if you are faithful to give me my 10%, I will make sure that your 90% goes further than your 100% ever did. God is bad at math. It's one of the ways I'm most godly. I reflect him in my own inability in math. But God says 90% is more than 100% in the kingdom. And the way you get that money in the kingdom is to give him that 10%. They struggled with this, I'm sure, because they were living in hard times. 
They'd been living through, there'd been a drought, there'd been a crop failure, there'd been a locust plague, there'd been blight. That's hard times. Any old school wrestling fans here? Yeah, there we go. There we go. Should God not expect less from them in this situation? Maybe you're sitting here this morning going, that's all well and good, man, but I'm in hard times. I'm going through some stuff. Shouldn't God expect less from me? I have great news for you. In those hard times, God does expect less from you because 10% of less is less. That's the beauty of it. There, there's no advantage in the kingdom to being a wealthy person when it comes to God and his provision on your finances. Because it's not like a dues. It's not you have to have this much, just absolute amount of money and give it to It's not like it's $80 a month. That's the deal or whatever, right? It's just 10%. And if 10% for you is $4, praise the Lord. Give your $4. Uh, there's this beautiful story in the Gospels where Jesus is at the temple and there's people giving offerings and they're giving all kinds of money and making a big production of it. And this widow comes up and she gives her two, two mites, uh, it says, or used to say when, when you preach this, you would say she gave her two pennies because mites were the smallest coins that they had in their currency at that time. But with, uh, we got rid of pennies, so now it's two nickels. Uh, inflation, it's even hitting Bible stories these days. And so she comes and she gives her two nickels and Jesus goes, there's someone who really knows how to give. Not because of the absolute number she gave. It was not an oppressive amount of money. But it was everything she had. Back to that 100% is the New Testament number. She gave everything she had and Jesus went, that is giving. So again, if you're going, man, I don't have much. That's okay. He's not asking for much. He's just asking for 10%. Not only, though, does God expect less in those hard times, because 10% of less is less. Beyond that, if I'm a farmer, and there is drought, and there's crop failure, and there's locust plague, and there's blight, isn't that the perfect time to make sure that my farm is the king's farm? Isn't that the perfect time to go, I need to make this someone else's problem. <laughs> I'm going to kick this one up to the Lord and go, hey, your farm, bro. Yes, you're you're going to have to take care of it from here on out. These locusts, they're your problem, right? When you come to understand that God blesses our basic giving with generous provision, you start to understand that the one thing you can't afford is to not tithe. That's the one thing you can't afford. I don't tithe because I have so much left over. I tithe because I need what I have to go even further. I don't tithe because I don't have any financial challenges. I tithe because I need to know that my farm is the king's farm and he's taking care of it. When my wife Kelly and I first got married, we were broke. I mean, broke, broke. I mean, didn't always have money for groceries, come home to empty cupboards, broke. I mean, bills going unpaid, broke. I mean, we were one major unexpected expense away from financial ruin, broke. And we were living in the United States without health insurance at the time, so it wouldn't have taken much for that to happen. And one day we sat down and we decided, broke as we were, we couldn't afford to not tithe. So we started tithing. We didn't get rich, but I can't tell you how many days we pulled into the driveway of our house knowing for a fact that there was nothing to eat in the house. And as we'd come up the little lift of the driveway, we'd look and we'd realize someone had left several bags of groceries sitting on our front steps. To this day, we have no idea who. Never did find out. Or we'd open the door and there laying, slipped under the door would be a gift card for our local supermarket. And we'd pick it up and go straight to the supermarket right then because that was our shot at eating that night. 
That must have happened at least a dozen times in a year. Again, no idea who, no idea how. But we never went hungry, even though we didn't have food. Because our farm was the king's farm, and the king's farm is always, always blessed. The hired hands that work the king's farm don't go hungry. We never did have an unexpected uh, emergency expense in that season, but we did have a major unexpected expense. My wife was uh, finishing up her schooling at Kingswood University up the road here in Sussex, and uh, she uh, was doing her student teaching, and we didn't realize you have to pay the school to go work somewhere else for free. Uh, you have to pay tuition. <laughs> and so we walked out of a meeting there, and we discovered that we owed, it was $5,004, and I want to say like 78 cents, 72 cents, 78 cents, something like that. And they said, we just, you got, we got to be on a payment plan. We said, you don't understand the level of broke we are. They said, well, there's just anything. We said, okay, we'll, we will commit God being our helper. We were living in Bangor, Maine at the time, so our money was worth double. So we thought, okay, given that, we're going to commit to $20 a month until this is paid off. I don't even know how long that would have taken to pay off. They said, all right, as long as you're working on it. So that was our commitment. As we were leaving, uh, we were coming through St. John on our way back to Bangor, and a friend of mine who lived in St. John said, hey, uh, can I catch a ride back to the city with you? We said, sure. He jumps in. Uh, as he gets out, he throws us a $5 bill for gas, and off he goes. And, and uh, we're getting ready to go visit uh, my grandmother, who just uh, lived up in Renforth. And uh, so we go, well, we need to take all the Canadian cash we have and put gas in the tank because, again, the exchange rate was wonderful or terrible, depending on which way we were going at the time. We said, all right, it's going to be worthless to us once we cross the border. So we went through the ashtray. We went through, you know, under the seats. We had everywhere, we could, every penny we could find. We were like, can I have $12.16 of regular unleaded, please? And uh, we got some gas. Went down, had a lovely visit with my grandmother. It was the first time we'd seen her since uh, we'd gotten married. Had a great visit with her. And on our way out, we were coming up uh, towards the Irving on uh, Ross A Road, not far from where I'm standing today. And uh, I said to Kelly, take the wheel, which is never a good thing. This, you should, this is not driving advice. Uh, you should, if you're the driver, you should be the one holding the wheel. But I said, take the wheel. And I grabbed a card that my grandmother had handed us, and I opened it. And in there was a check for $5,000. And I looked down, and somehow when we had taken every dime out of the car, we had missed the $5 bill that my buddy had given us for gas. It was wedged between the seats. So we needed $5,004.78. And within two hours, God had miraculously provided $5,005. This leads us to the last word, which is test, right? Cheat, blessed, and then test. You know you're not supposed to test God, right? says so right in the Bible. Deuteronomy 6.16, you must not test the Lord your God. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus reiterates it in Matthew 4.7. You must not test the Lord your God. As though he were your subordinate and he had to prove himself or he had to rise to your expectations. I mean, who are you to grade the Almighty? And yet, and yet when it comes to this issue of tithing and blessing, God gives us his people he gives us this special permission. 
He goes, you know what? On this one, go ahead. Test me. See if I don't bless your socks off. I know you struggle extra hard with money because of greed and materialism and fear and sometimes even just your instinct for self-preservation. And so I'm gonna give you a special dispensation. I'm gonna give you a pass on this one. Go ahead, give it a shot, test me, see what happens. Go ahead and try to outgive me. You won't. Go ahead and try to outprovide me. You can't. Go ahead and try to outfaithful me. You ain't up for the challenge. If you put me to the test, God is saying, let me tell you what you're going to find. You're going to find that I bless those who submit their finances to me. You're going to find that giving makes your farm the king's farm, and the king's farm is always blessed. You're going to find if you put me to the test, not that you're going to become fabulously wealthy beyond your wildest dreams, but that my blessing on that 90% is going to go way further than 100% ever did when it was in your hands and up to your wisdom alone. Now, how much further is up to God in his good wisdom? For a lot of us, it goes noticeably further. For some of us, it goes crazy further. I think that when God knows that he can trust you with the resources he puts in your hands, that you will use them to fund the things that are on his heart, when he knows that you will treat that money like it's the king's money and use it to accomplish the king's purposes, sometimes he chooses to bless like insane amounts. And if that's you, you better be awful careful you're faithful with it and keep your trust in the king who entrusted it to you, not in the money he entrusted to you. How much further is for him to decide? But I believe on the authority of his word, he's saying, if you will give this to me, you will not find yourself lacking because of it you'll find that the 90% goes further than the 100% ever did. So, I quit my job. (laughs) And I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it because I've spent the last several decades running tests. I've been running all these tests, right? As I mentioned, when we first got married, we were broke. We ran a test and we found out that 90% with God's blessing really does go further than 100% with our best wisdom ever did. When kids came along and expenses increased, we ran a test, found out that if we're faithful, if we won't flinch in those moments and we'll give God what is rightfully his, then he is indeed faithful to provide in some wild ways. Our kids were always better dressed than we were, always better dressed than we were, better dressed than we could afford to have made them. We had a family in our church. They had four or five boys. They raised them, they handed the clothes down like you do. And then when they had their last kid grew out of them, they got rid of them. And then like four years later, I don't know if the mood was right, music was right, I don't know, something happened, along came another kid. So they had to go and buy all brand new clothes. And they were not like millionaires, but they were pretty comfortable. So they bought like all really nice, like brand name designer clothes for this kid who wore them for like 20 minutes before he outgrew them, right? <laughs> And so for years, about once a month, we would show up to church and there'd be another bag, big garbage bag full of almost brand new clothes for our kids to wear, right? The 10% we were given would never have covered just the clothes that we got in those bags, let alone all the other ways God provided for us. Well, that's a coincidence. Well, here's what I've noticed, that when we are faithful to give to God, those coincidences become very frequent and dependable. 
And when paychecks started getting a little larger for us and things got a little more comfortable financially, we ran another test. We started to move beyond just that baseline of tithing into actual generosity. And we found that you cannot outgive a generous God. Again, I, I mentioned this earlier. I didn't even plan to talk about this in my notes, but a year ago, my wife's parents just out of the blue said, would you like to own our cottage? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we own a cottage. We didn't save up for it. I tell you what, if we would have tucked away that 10% all these years, we couldn't have afforded to buy that cottage. But God decided, all right, this will go, this is above and beyond, right? This is the 100% or the 90% going further than the 100% ever did. So you see, I'm not worried because I've spent 20 some years of weekly and monthly tests proving that this passage of scripture is actually true, that God really is a faithful provider. And so you know what the, the top personal finance question is I've been wrestling with as I move into this new season? This is the number one financial question I'm wrestling with. How do I tithe? I don't mean how do I bring myself to? I just mean mechanically, right? I'm used to having like a steady paycheck. Like how do you tithe off? I don't know how much money's coming in this week. Like what do you do with that? I guess the direct deposit thing we'll probably have to adjust. I, 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 I got to call the bank and see if you can still get those uh, checks. You know, remember those <laughs> from right back after the Civil War where you had, to, you had to write out stuff? I don't know. Maybe that's how we're going to have to do it. Or maybe we'll have to do e-transfer or something just so that we can be given 10% on a moving target. Those are the questions I'm, I'm wrestling with. And where do I tithe, right? I said you give to your home church. Well, if I'm going to be traveling around preaching to a different church every week, I don't know where my home church is going to be. I'm going to have to figure that out. Those are the questions I'm wrestling with. Not how are we going to pay the bills. Not how are we going to make ends meet. Not what are we going to do. Woe is us. I'm not worried that I won't be able to afford stuff in this next season because I've got 20-some years of tests that prove that the only thing I really cannot afford is to not tithe. So my challenge to you today is simple. Start running your own tests. Start running your own tests. Commit to tithing to God through your local place of worship for maybe three months or six months and just see if you can outgive God. Run a test. Be faithful to give him what he's due out of your finances. Put those training wheels on that we talked about earlier and see if that hurts or helps your finances. Run a test. Give him the, the 10% that's his and see if the remaining 90% really does go further than the 100% ever did. Go ahead, run a test. If you run those tests, I think you'll find that he is indeed faithful. I think you'll find that he does indeed provide for your family. I think you'll find that you sleep a whole lot better at night knowing that God is your provider. And so you don't have to worry about your farm because it's not your farm anymore. It's the king's farm. He can lay awake and he doesn't slumber or sleep anyways. He might as well be laying awake thinking about it. You'll find that there's a whole lot more peace in your home, in your marriage, in your family. And you'll start to realize that the one thing you really can't afford, of all the things right now you think you can't afford, the one thing you truly can't afford is to not tithe. Let's pray. Father, we confess that this topic of money raises all kinds of emotions and tensions and fears in us. God, we know that fear is not of you, fear is of the enemy. So God, when we find ourselves afraid to do something, help us to realize that's probably because we're doing something the enemy doesn't want us to do and that's all the more reason to do it. 
God, we confess that when it comes to this issue of money, we're pretty quick to go, oh, whoa, whoa, that's too far. God doesn't get to put his hands there. God doesn't get to call the shots there. God doesn't get to be God there. God, would you help us just to hear what we're really saying when we say that? And that as much as we love to sing about our lives being surrendered to you, God, if that doesn't show up in our calendars and our bank statements, would you convict us of our hypocrisy? God, so much of money for so many of us is a heavy and burdensome thing that this just feels like another bill that's gonna be added, another expense that's gonna be added. God, would you change our mindset to realize, no, 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 this is a joy. This is a get to. This is a, a, a thing that can bring us more and more peace and more and more joy in our finances. This can be maybe one of the few outgoing line items in our budget we can feel good about every month. God, would you help us to find the joy in giving to you first and foremost what you deserve, what's rightfully yours in a tithe and then moving beyond that into true generosity. Would you help us to sleep so much better at night knowing that it's not ultimately our farm. It's the king's farm. And he's gonna bless it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.